FM 96.3 AM 620. News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to the Morning Drive, everybody. Kurt and Anthony here, and joining us online now, we always love this, Rich Lowry, a national columnist and editor-in-chief at the National Review. Good morning, Rich. Hey, how's it going? Going great. And uh, I want to get right into it. You've got a bunch of articles out there which are great, but I want to first touch on one that goes back a few articles because it's it's uh, especially pertinent to us here in Vermont, which is the Ben and Jerry story. <laughs> because they're, of course, right here in Vermont, and, uh, of course, they made the statement around the 4th of July holiday that basically we needed to reflect back on what we had done to uh, Native Americans and that we should and we should start giving land back to Native Americans, uh, indigenous people, and that we should start with uh, the, the uh, property where the – in South Dakota, yep. Mount yep. Rushmore. So you wrote an article on that and made clear that uh, this all is not quite as it seems in what in regard to what uh, Ben and Jerry's is saying. Yeah. So you, you, first of all, I mean, putting this out on July Fourth, it's clear what you're doing. Uh, there, there are times to reflect on our country's sins. July Fourth is not 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 the the day. Do it do it July third or July fifth, but don't do it on July fourth. Obviously, when we're celebrating our amazing achievements, foremost among them. Are, our independence, but you read the narrative that Ben and Jerry's put out there, and you would have thought the Lakota were were out there in, in that area of South Dakota for thousands of years. Like the Lakota just magically appeared from nowhere on on that land, and that's where they'd always been. Where they showed up uh, in the and established control in the late 19th century after pushing off uh, a bunch of other tribes off that land. They they had themselves headed west and and gotten rid of the other tribes. So none of this is to say that. Uh, we are honest in our dealings with the, with the Indians. Um, we we weren't in in some um, very prominent cases, or they weren't weren't brutal. We we often were, but everyone was, and the Native Americans were fighting among one another constantly. Uh, so the idea that there there were just these these innocent people, uh, like you know from dances with wolves, and that's the end of the story, and nasty Europeans showed up, is just not true. There are nasty Native Americans, and there are nasty Europeans, and we're all nasty because we're all human. We're all subject to human nature. We're all greedy. Uh, we, we, we can be deceitful when it suits our purposes, and, and we can be bloodthirsty uh, in the right circumstances. So this is just a fairy tale um, that they're telling to emphasize um, supposedly how horrible we were because they don't like America very much. And you make clear that that's why maybe we don't take a history lesson from a couple of guys that run an ice cream company or used to. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and they they sold it to a, like a global conglomerate, right? So uh, most hippies, uh, self-respecting hippies, wouldn't do that unless they want to make money, which uh, shows that they're human too. <laughs> and of course, we found out that their corporate headquarters also could be uh, uh, are on property that at one time may have been owned by Native Americans. Yeah, I mean, if you're really going to un- unravel it all the way down, just the whole, whole, all of North America would have to depopulate. Or, or you just, just leave it to the, the, the first folks who, who walked across, you know, the Bering Strait, the land bridge from Asia uh, here, and, and just everyone else would have to leave, which makes zero sense. So the norms were different back then. Um, I, I wish we had acted uh, differently, but we had a huge hand in establishing better norms and the idea that you know sovereign nations have sovereign borders and and you respect them um 
and that that's the norm we we created and propagated around the world, and we're all better off from it. But um, there there is a there was a time when we 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 weren't weren't thinking that way, and it's not that it, it's something we should be truthful about. But it's not as though that we we were the only uh, um, you know greedy or bloodthirsty people in in the world. There are a lot of them all over the place, including here in in northern uh, North America. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it was lost on anybody here in Vermont. Um, you, you're right. <laughs> Hippies that, that sell out to a mega conglomerate uh, global uh, company and then sit from the, the pristine hill that they live on. <laughs> it's just, it's it's very funny. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to take. Rich, I want to ask you about another column you wrote it back in about a month ago toward the end of June. And I, and I relate it to something that's going on now uh, a month later, which is... You wrote an article basically entitled uh, Why Barack Obama and Other Progressives Loathe Black Conservatives and talked about uh, Barack Obama criticizing Tim Scott. And, you know, Tim Scott has this amazing story. And Obama criticizes him saying, oh, look, he's like all these other black Republicans that think everything is great and everybody can make it. But I want to talk about that a little bit, but also... Related to now, because now you have this issue in Florida with the curriculum where DeSantis has sort of run into a, a problem there, and Vice President Kamala Harris is, is you know saying, look, we're not going to put up with this curriculum where they're saying that slavery was a benefit to some slaves. And it seems like DeSantis has taken a hit because of this, and it seems like Tim Scott may be one of the people that's, that's benefiting from it. So if you can yeah. sort of talk about all that. I hate to say it, this this might be one of the most politically effective things Kamala Harris has done yeah. during her entire vice presidency. It's a lie. So so there's this curriculum, African-American studies curriculum, that Florida has crafted for itself after rejecting the AP curriculum for being um, um, too, too woke. And it has like you know, 191, I think it is, uh, um, agenda items, all of which are things that you're like, okay, that, of course we should be learning that about slavery and have to do with the enormity of the institution and you know the the glory of the civil rights movement, all all that, and there's there's one line about African uh, Americans slaves learning skills, and some of them in some instances using those skills to their personal benefit. Now this is being made out as though Florida thinks slavery was a jobs program and it did wonderful things for unskilled African Americans who were, you know, um, learned learned how to be blacksmiths when they never would have if it weren't for their masters, which is not what it's saying. Uh, that the fact that some slaves learn skills isn't an endorsement of, of slavery. Obviously, they would have been better off learning skills uh, as free men, um, but it's a fact that it did happen, and the slaves that, that did have skills were often treated better or earned a little bit more money. People neglect that slaves could be paid some, some meager salary or hired out to, to other people. And this was a, um, these the slaves would use this to, to earn some money, maybe save it in some cases, maybe buy their freedom, maybe, you know, work in an urban area that uh, was a little looser um, than uh, the rural areas and, you know, f- find their way to freedom. That's what happened with Frederick Douglass, who became a ship caulker in Baltimore while he was a slave. So, so this is just historical fact. It's just true. Um, it, the AP curriculum that Florida rejected has a similar line, that this is something you should learn about. So it's been made into this uh, smear, and un- unfortunately, uh, Tim Scott and some others have, have picked it up, either you know, innocently, not truly understanding what's, what's going on in Florida, or, or cynically, but uh, <clears throat> it's bad. But did DeSantis sort of walk into, I, mean, I totally get what you're saying, there's 191 items in this curriculum that are 
seriously teaching about slavery. And then it's, it's, but did DeSantis hurt himself in the way he talked about it? Kind of saying like he left openings for Chris Christie and others to go after him saying, I don't know about this. I didn't come up with this. Um, did he just sort of talk about this the wrong way and walk into a landmine here? Well, his, his answers initially weren't, weren't great. I think he's been better lately, but he was, he was, it sounded evasive, but what he was saying was true that, you know, he didn't write this. You know, he, he had, uh, uh, really, uh, well-respected academics, including a guy named Bill Allen, African American scholar, uh, came up with this. And, you know, the problem with it is the wording, you know, the, the word benefit, right? That, that, that could give people the wrong idea. But it's, but in a, a more rational world, everyone would, uh, uh, t- take you know a second or two to truly understand what it's what it's saying, but we don't live in a rational world. And I think this is, you know, it's it's part of the narrative that DeSant- that everything's wrong for DeSantis. So it's it's hurting them and hurting him in the broader narrative. But I think you know the Republicans he's trying to reach um, who follow this stuff closely probably admire him you know, sticking by his guns and and understand it's a lie. But you know it's just uh, DeSantis is in that mode and he's been there for months now where he can't catch a break. Do you think his campaign is is really starting to unravel? I mean, you've seen some missteps like calling the Ukraine-Russia war a territorial dispute. Um, this latest thing, he's had to lay off a third of his campaign staff because they're they haven't done they haven't spent the money on any TV yep. ads or anything like that, but just on staffing and, and the best hotel rooms and everything else. And the poll numbers are starting to show it. Do you think his campaign could this be the Governor Walker campaign of twenty? 24 mm-hmm. it could be yeah it's uh there are two alternatives when you get in the, these phases and almost every presidential campaign goes through them at, at some point you uh you kind of left for dead and you either find something and you're resilient and f- find a spark and then you know two months from now or whatever it is you get that recovery narrative going or it's your first step to actually really being dead <laughs> so it's usually the latter that's, that happens more often but he's in a huge you know, there's a New York Times poll today has it 54 Trump, 17 DeSantis, and there's just just uh, never been that wide a national gap where the the front runner hasn't won. So the the odds are really strongly in Trump's favor. The the biggest national spread, kind of comparable to that, where the front runner didn't win, was in 08 when uh, Hillary was ahead of Barack Obama. Mm. Nationally, I don't think she was ahead by quite quite that much. And also, she was a terrible politician, and uh, Obama was a generational talent. And in sort of the Republican context, it's it's more like Trump was the Obama, <laughs> and DeSantis, who so far has looked more like the the Hillary, and Obama was always closer uh, in the state polls in Iowa, single digits, down single digits, even when he was down big nationally. Same thing in South Carolina. So DeSantis is in a, a uniquely bad. A position is going to need some sort of Trump collapse that he's not going to cause. It's going to be outside of his control, and it's hard to see what that what that would be or what would cause it. Do you think too that the Democrats identified him early on, before, long before he announced during COVID, that he was their biggest threat, and literally that's where a lot of their energy is gone, whether it's him directly or the state of Florida. Uh, you know, you get Gavin Newsom coming out, slamming Florida. Yep. I think that, that, that they obviously want to run against Trump. There's no question about that. But do you think that they just identified of, of the, of the entire Republican field, we're okay running against everybody, but we're a little nervous about DeSantis because it does seem like the, the national narrative, the national mainstream media narrative, 
about Ron DeSantis is just relentless, absolutely yep. relentless. Yeah, and he hasn't had a good news cycle since like February or something. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. What you what you say, but it you know it's a it's a two sides of the coin that. that Having the hostility of the media and the the Biden White House and all the rest of them helped DeSantis for the longest uh, time, right? Because we live in a time where you're you're defined more by your enemies and than your your friends, and getting attacked viciously by the other side is a benefit. Um, so I, th- I think that the thing that that's happened is just one Trump is is strong, and if DeSantis, I mean, this is kind of a ridiculous thing to say, but if if uh, Trump weren't running, DeSantis would be the front runner. <laughs> he'd be ahead by. 10 or 15 points. I don't know whether he'd necessarily be the nominee, but he'd be the front runner. The thing is, just Trump is, um, he, he wobbled some around the midterms and uh, some of the ridiculous controversies afterwards. And then since then, he's regained his footing. Uh, he regained his footing prior to the Bragg indictment, but the Bragg indictment put him up on a different plane, you know, above 50% in the polls reliably, and he's been there ever since. And DeSantis had nothing to do with any of that. So I think he's made his own mistakes. He's, um, you know, you always have to see it's such a big step up from a, a, even a large, diverse, important state like Florida to the national stage. You need to see, see how someone performs. There's much more of an emphasis on personality on the national stage, and, you know, DeSantis is an electric personality. So all that's kind of hurt him, but the main thing is Trump. It's a Trump story, not a DeSantis story. And you wrote another column about that, which was great, which is that the more indictments that get piled on Trump, the better he does. And obviously... It looks like Republican voters, at least at this point, things could change, but they seem to be falling in line to what the Democrats want, which is they want these indictments. They sort of seem to know that these indictments are going to energize the Republican base to Mm -hmm. get behind Trump. But the problem is that Trump is not probably the strongest candidate uh, in the fall, in the general election. Yeah. So, yeah, I think think all that's true. I think the the Bragg indictment was ridiculous. I think he's... He's nailed on the document stuff, but but has a very good political argument that it's elected prosecution, you know, given the way Hillary and uh, skated and the way Biden will will skate. And then I'm very skeptical of the January 6th uh, indictments that are coming or the Georgia indictments. You know, I think what he did after the 2020, 2020 election was terrible, but it wasn't a crime, and they're stretching to make it a crime. But you could get, as someone was saying to me the other day, you could get above 100 counts. I mean, both, both Bragg and, and uh, Jack Smith just layered on the counts kind of unnecessarily to get the number high. Uh, so, so you could go above 100. And, but, but that just makes it more, uh, convinces more Republicans, you know, it's a, it's a political game, right? They're just trying to get layer on the, the, the counts. So um, it's, it's, it's hard to see uh, how, how it hurts them. It probably helps them, continues to help them. And, yeah, they, they prefer to run against Trump, but it might be another 2016 thing where careful what you wish for because he's competitive in the general election polling. And I think it's uh, a lot of people think I'm crazy, but I think a, a Trump-Biden race at this point is a toss-up. Well, that's interesting because, you know, we, I, I constantly think to myself, you know, was it 55 or 58 percent of uh, Americans say they would never, ever, ever vote for Donald Trump? Um, so it, it just looks like we're, we can have all these conversations, but it looks like we're marching down the path to Trump Biden. And, uh, that's the way it's going to be. I want to ask you about, um, you know, you, you wrote about the McCarthy report episode 223, but Hunter's plea deal completely falls apart. Uh, do you think that's going to have, do you think there's any way it's ever really going to impact the Biden campaign? You know, it's. Uh, I was watching the Sunday shows, and, and 
Jonathan Carl, who's guest hosting on Stephanopoulos, he he made a fairly big deal of the plea plea deal. I think Chuck Todd mentioned it, <laughs> but he just had this is a huge scandalous uh, inside deal where where the Justice Department lawyers have exposed themselves as, as almost indistinguishable from Hunter Biden's lawyers, and it made barely a ripple. Um, and you know, and and we, we and the 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 gun is like. It's a little smoky, you know. It's not there's not smoke pouring from it, but we we have a lot of damning information now about uh, uh, Joe and the the business dealings, and there's there's almost no national coverage of it. So I think the things that would change were if if that gun is just you know fires pouring from it and it's an inferno and there's and you just can't ignore it, then the media will pay attention. Or if for some reason they decided Biden is a huge liability politically. Is weak, too weak against Trump, and he's got to go. Then all of a sudden, you know, you'd have you'd have mainstream media attention on all the scandal stuff. But n- neither of those things are that are true at the moment. It's kind of hard to ignore future immunity. I mean, does anybody mm-hmm. has anybody ever gotten that? I mean, <laughs> yeah, just, just sweeping, uh, you know, everything that they investigated, and, and they're supposedly investigating everything. And, uh, you know, the, the more serious stuff uh, perhaps to come, and you're going to give them immunity based on it, it's just crazy. And then also, as my colleague Andy McCarthy, former prosecutor, has pointed out, they just let the statute of limitations just tick away. Yeah. So you're, you're close to, to a lot of this stuff, um, uh, Hunter being invulnerable on it, uh, no matter what you do. Rich, in about three weeks, maybe a little bit more than three weeks, the big debate will be coming, the first debate in the Republican uh, presidential field uh, in Milwaukee. How big do you think this debate is? And if, also, how big do you think it is for DeSantis? Does he need to have a, a really good performance after the, all the bad press and everything else that he's had the last few months? And if you can include in that, if DeSantis' campaign after that debate does continue to take on water, who do you see as the benefactor of that? Is it? Is it? Uh, yeah, so those are all great questions. I kind of think, <clears throat> excuse me, Trump is not going to show up for the debate. I don't think it makes sense for him to show up at the debate. Um, you know, Kellyanne Conway was sort of teasing, teasing last week on Fox. Well, well, keep keep, keep the uh, center podium uh, uh, warm for him, and you know, suggesting maybe he will. I think there'll be that drama until right at the end. But I kind of think he won't show up, and this sets up a, a really tough dynamic for DeSantis because then he's he's the front runner on that stage, even though he's at 17 and everyone else is at three, and they're all going to shoot at him. And the, there's a potential to take on more water. I think Chris, Christie will come at him the way he did Marco Rubio in the New Hampshire debate in, in 2016. And, you know, there's opportunity here if DeSantis handles himself really well and sh- shows, shows strength and that he can parry everyone. But uh, it'll be another moment of vulnerability. And if he continues to sink or has a bad debate, you know, I think it's, it's Tim Scott who's been ticking up. You know, he's kind of low single digits in some states now. Like, a, you know, nothing to write home about, but like 11 when he started out at 2. Uh, so the trajectory has been up, upwards. So that that would be the other uh, real inflection point for DeSantis is is if he's in third place, then you know to to Tim Scott or someone else, then then the whole rationale that I'm the alternative to Trump kind of goes away. And I just think all, all those scenarios are good for Trump. I may be over overly conventional, but I still think DeSantis is the one who has the widest possible appeal in the party and the best chance to beat to beat Trump. Uh, now, in regard, going back to the article you wrote about Barack Obama. Barack Obama now criticizing Tim Scott and any seemingly any conservative black Republican. Um, but when he ran, when he first came on the national scene at the convention in 04, it seems like, and I know you quote this in your article, it seemed like he was saying similar things about his his biographical narrative that Tim Scott says. Yeah, exactly. That uh, that, that famous 
convention speech in uh, 04, it's like, look at me. You know, how could someone named Barack Hussein Obama be uh, uh, up here, you know, Senate nominee, talking to to you and have achieved so so much? And so it was a very Tim Scott appeal in in that way. And then also most of his presidency, uh, he didn't really want to emphasize and talk about race, which I think is a is a good thing. Um, but but you know by the end he's he'd been pulled pulled left and the party was going left and and now we really have this uh, obsession with uh, identity politics that's very uh, unhealthy for our society. Uh, I think probably we're just about at the end here, Rich. But um, we were having a discussion about this with some other people the other day. If Biden, and you have an article about this as well. If Biden continues to stumble literally, and for some reason, of which there are a number that could be out there, he ends up having to opt out of the race. It looks pretty clear Gavin Newsom will get in the race. He looks like he's ready mm-hmm. to go. Yeah, but he's hovering. Do you yeah. Yeah. Sir, pretty- sir, don't, don't, don't trip. You know, whatever you do, but I'm here <laughs> if you do, just in case. Just in case you do, I'll be here. He's literally uh, hovering. But do you, is there any doubt in your mind, or do you think that that Kamala Harris will jump into the race if Biden was to get out? So the way I think about it, if something, and I don't want anything bad to happen to, to Joe Biden, right. <clears throat> be bad for him, his family, the country. <clears throat> if, if for, for some reason he's no longer able to serve as president and she becomes president, she's, you know, she's the nominee. <clears throat> if it's short of that and Joe, Joe just says, you know what, I'm not up for this, I'm just not going to run, then I think it's a competitive primary. You get Gavin Newsom getting in, maybe a couple others, and I think it's hard for her to win the nominee. Now, the, the nomination, now, on the other hand, you know, it's hard for Democrats to, to reject the, the first uh, uh, female African-American um, presidential nominee, potentially, but uh, I think she's so bad, I think Democrats privately... 